0: What's up, you football-loving maniacs? Tyler Terrence here from the Three Honest Lads, and we have another treat for you in our next interview, and it is with the head coach of the Indy 11 in Martin Rennie. And the Scottish manager has done an unbelievable job in piecing together this Indy 11 club that is in prime position to make a deep USL Cup run this season after not doing as well as they would hoped in 2018. Martin, of course, arrived very late on the scene in February of 2018, right before this season started. He got a bunch of new offensive toys to play with, and especially on the defensive side as well in the 2019 season. And Martin has been there. He's done that. He's been all over the world. Football has taken him to some really incredible places. He, of course, was a fan of Falkirk over in Scotland. He was a ball boy for the team. He supported Aberdeen as well. He came over to the United States. He coached PDL with the cascade surge, Cleveland City Stars, then of course with the Carolina Railhawks before moving north of the border with the Vancouver Whitecaps, then ended up in South Korea before he eventually came back to the United States. But Martin talks about all of his experiences and where they've led him today tactics with Indy Indy 11 and where they are this season so many different stories and Devin Kerr and I had an unbelievable time chatting with Martin we wish him nothing but the best of luck in the U.S. Open Cup and of course in the rest of the 2019 USL Championship season we hope you enjoyed the interview as much as we did so without any further ado Martin Rennie the head coach of Indy 11.
1: you football loving maniac time for another interview and boy do we have a treat martin Rennie, the head coach of the indy 11 joins us here on the three honest lads devin kerr on the line as well but he is much less important than mr martin Rennie. coach how are we doing today
2: i'm doing good thank you
1: all right lovely devin how are you coach you see how he talks to me this is what goes on behind the scenes it's it's all it's all pomp and circumstance when we're on the air but behind the scenes he treats me like a battered housewife not fair
2: yeah i can see that You, you do well to keep your confidence up <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, Coach. Um, you know, you guys are off to a great start this season. But Devin and I, we're, we're dying to know what what is your team of choice over in Scotland? Rangers, Celtic,
2: Aberdeen. Who who are you supporting over there? <laughs> So actually, my local team is uh, Falkirk. I used to um, used to be a ball boy for the team and supported them home and away. Went to lots of games, and um, unfortunately, they just got relegated to the Scottish First Division, which I think is the the lowest they've maybe ever been relegated to. Um, so, bad season, bad season for them. But they're my they're my local team. Growing up, I I was um, actually born way up in the north of Scotland, um, probably further north than most people even in Scotland know exists. so the team that I kind of liked and where my dad's from and my family is from is Aberdeen. So when I was growing up, Sir Alex Ferguson was the coach, and uh, he wasn't Sir Alex at that point, but uh, Aberdeen won games against Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, things like that to win European trophies, and they, they were beating Rangers and Celtic to win Scottish League titles and trophies, so they're they're an important team for me as well but uh Falkirk is the team that I really followed because when we moved when I was about 10 years old that was my local team and and I supported them uh and still do now let me ask you a
1: question you were the ball boy were you one of the ball boys that would cause problems and hang on to the ball late in the game if Falkirk
2: were trying to hang on to a one-nil lead or (laughs) were you going by the book no occasionally we we were instructed to get the ball back faster or slower depending on what was going on in the game and but um, honestly, it was really fun because it was me and one of my good friends, we wrote to the club to ask if we could become ball boys and they, they replied to say that we could. And uh, we used to we used to actually go on, we figured out that when the players went in from their warm-up into the locker room, nobody was really watching. So we used to get a ball and the two of us would go and one of us would go on goals and the other would take penalty kicks. And we were we were doing that when we were like, what, 10, 11, 12 years old, something like that, in front of a full house, sometimes 18,000 people there in this tight little stadium. All the The only thing that was going on was me and my buddy hitting shots, so a few years ago um he came over and visited when we were in Vancouver and um obviously b c place is a great stadium and After training the day before a game, um we went out for lunch and asked the the kit manager to put out a full kit for my buddy with his name on it and When we came back into the locker room um it was sitting there, and we went out into the stadium for honestly like a couple of hours, and we were just hitting shots on each other one of us would be in goals, other would be hitting shots. And the only people in there were the security staff after a while they were going, getting the balls for us and stuff. But it was a, uh, it was a pretty cool uh, experience coming full circle from when we did that, when we were kids.
1: Who says you have to grow up, right coach? That, that's an
2: amazing story. <laughs> I mean, that is
1: just, I can just imagine Tyler sitting in goal, just pinging balls at him all night long. That's amazing. That's really, <laughs> no, that's really, really cool. And funny how childhood memories kind of funnel over into the, to the adult years. So let's, Exactly. Let's transition to your boys now. Um, you come to Indy 11 and 18. Um, uh, obviously, you came in very late. So you had some opportunity this offseason to work the roster to your favor a bit more instead of playing the hand that you were dealt. You go out and you get some really big names. Dane Kelly, Ine um, Ilya Illich. I mean, just to name a few guys that are the relative who's who in USL championship, kind of walk us through what your thought process was on the composition of this team coming into 2019, how you went out and got those guys. And also, you know, your, your start so far, I had some pretty good results sitting at four, two and two um,
2: and looking good for the, for the most part. Yeah. So I think, you know, coming into the season, last season, um, it was the first time I'd been coaching in the USL for a long time. And it was the first time I'd been coaching in the US for a long time. So I knew that there would be, you know, a learning curve, and I had an idea of what, how I wanted to play and what I wanted to do. And um, but as you say, we we did arrive late in terms of signing players and building a roster, so it was quite difficult um, to build the group exactly the way we wanted to. But the guys who we had did, did a great job and and did the best that they could with with what we had. And probably around the middle of the season, we really started working on right how how do we want this team to play? Who do we need to try to get to come here? Started identifying who, who those players would be. Um, watched them obviously because we were playing against them and we were um, scouting games you know regularly um, in preparation so we had a really good idea of the type of players that we wanted and we also had an idea of the style of play that we thought would be successful in the USL so one of the things I've noticed and it's a modern trend in soccer anyway is that teams are quite vertical and quite central a lot of teams have inverted wingers and and play that, that really is you know based on balls behind, runs behind, counter-pressing. And so one of the things that I picked up in Korea was when you play with a back three that can drop into a back five, it gives you so much more solidity centrally on the field and it makes it more difficult for teams to use that tactic, and um, which again is quite a common thing in, in this league. And so that in my head I wanted to try and build a, a group of players that could play that system. So then it was about really for every position in my mind I have a, a kind of profile of what I would like to have. And then we went after as many of those guys as we could get. And then also we felt like a profile within the USL that's quite important is to have um some younger guys, guys who are really hungry, who are on the way up, who maybe haven't gone to the the you know, the highest level um College, or they haven't maybe been in the MLS and dropped down, but guys who are just like really kind of living the dream and fighting for it every day. And I think that that's really the composition of our roster now. And obviously, it can always improve, but um, we're happy with how it's how it started for sure. And coach,
1: you know, you talk about you know you coming back to the states and not having coached here in a while. You coached at the PDL level, USL Division One, back with Cleveland. Now you're in the USL Championship. Indy Eleven is building this unbelievable new stadium the renderings look you know terrific where have you seen this game gone since you since you started coaching in the united states since you went over to korea since you've come back and now sort of where do you see it heading in the next five to ten years and specifically
2: the game of football within indianapolis yeah so it's a real transformation i think you know when i first came over and i was coaching in cleveland that was an expansion team and it was really um you know a, a group of of guys like were basically like friends and who loved soccer and who wanted to do a good job and wanted to do good things in the community. Um, but we, we had, you know, almost all of our players were staying with host families. We um, drove, I personally drove white minibuses <laughs> around around the, the US where we'd be, you know, getting in the van and driving for um, sometimes honestly like seven, eight hours to go and play a game. And then we would maybe finish the game and drive for another three or four hours, get to a hotel, sleep the night, get up the next day and have another game, and then drive 10, 11, 12 hours back to Cleveland. And it was exhausting, but it was obviously, um, at that time, it was was kind of living the dream and and hoping for something bigger and, and making the most of it. But if I look at it now, it's really developed significantly. And when I look at the club here in Indianapolis, it's one of the, Best structured clubs. It's certainly in the USL, but it's got a structure that would rival many MLS teams. We have an amazing training ground. We've got fantastic housing for the players. We take care of them well with their food. We've got a a place that we go to called the Recovery Room, where they get cryotherapy and can work with the Normatech boots and all these types of things. Uh, We have a nutritionist. We have a sports scientist. We have a great partnership with community health. To take care of all of the, the medical needs, and we really have something that is is on a on a level that at least a few years ago was MLS level, and we have the potential to bring it bring it to that level. I'm sure. Um, in terms of this club here, I think that we have a very ambitious owner, and we have a you know a state in Indiana that has had success over the years in soccer, especially if you look at IU Notre Dame for example. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, good young players here, hard working players. And players that can do a good job and we really we feel that if we could build a technical structure that has a detailed plan and, and a proper focus for the future then what we would like to do is develop the best young players in Indiana and in the Midwest give them a chance to follow our system and really become good at what we need them to be, be, be good at and then have a foundation that would allow the club to succeed for many years as opposed to hoping to sign good players each year and and maybe spending more money on players or, or or that type of thing. We want to obviously still do that, but we want to develop players and we want to, we want our fans to be connected to young guys that are coming through from this state. And we, we actually just signed um, Emerson Nieto just the other day, a young guy from our academy. Um, we've had Josh Penn since the start of the season, who's from the Midwest as well. Um, and we really want to do more and more of that. And, and as I say, That's where I think the club could really become a successful organization is if it has this structure that comes from grassroots right up to the first team where everybody's following the same philosophy, where we train a certain way, where we teach a certain way, where we have a certain culture, and then we bring other players into that if they fit that system. But we we at least have a foundation of our own.
1: Martin, is Josh still at this point in time um, committed to going to college?
2: Yeah, I think at this point in time that he is. Yeah, Um, I think that he he was able to be finished with high school um, a semester early to give himself an opportunity to be here with us and also to um, explore other opportunities as they came up. Um, And so I think most likely that'll be the route that he goes down. But he's certainly going to be going to a good place if that's what he does. Um, And he's a talented player who I think you know within a couple of years will probably be a bit more high profile and well known. But from what we've seen, he's he's got all the ability now. He just needs to to put it together on a consistent basis, which is always the challenge for for young players.
1: And Evan Newton cool. told us earlier in the year that Josh was uh, the locker room clown. Is that still the case?
2: Yeah, he's definitely definitely one of them. There's there's a few, but he's he's young, he's energetic, he's confident, connects well with all the guys, and and they love having him around. And um, he seems to to lift the the mood, and uh, that's so important. You know, as a coach, you can't Influence everything, uh, but you really want it to be a, a vibrant atmosphere in your locker room and you want guys to be enjoying it. And and certainly, this group seems to be doing that. And we have a number of guys who contribute to that. Martin, let's
1: transition to the future, more specifically the immediate future. Let's look at to tonight. Um, U.S. Open Cup comes to town. You guys are taking on Lansing Ignite. They're coming off a 2 1 victory. Let's talk about the Open Cup with you. Um, what do you think about the matchup tonight? What's the tournament? mean to you, teams you've coached in the past and laying in waiting, uh, almost a counteracting style on the likes of Bob Lilly, an opportunity to challenge the Pittsburgh Riverhounds if you guys win?
2: Yeah, I think first of all, our main focus is just on this game against Lansing Ignite. We, we know, I know Nate Miller quite well and he um, he spent a lot of time around our club and um, I have I speak to him often and uh, think that he's a very talented coach and, and in preseason, we played against his team and they played really well. They actually beat us in that game. And so that, um, in a way, was a, a good thing for us because it allowed us to see what they were like and how they play, and also to make sure that we go into the game without any complacency, which I think can sometimes happen in these games and in these matchups. and And often, um, you know, teams that from a lower division often upset teams from that higher division. So uh, we're, we're very focused on what we need to do to play this game well, and we're excited for it because we didn't have a game on the weekend, so we're a little bit fresh coming into it. Um so the open cups the first chance we have to win knockout games and it's important that we are able to do that in order to have success for the season in order to win in the end you have to be able to win these types of games so for us we're we're really you know ready for it focused on it and we know that this time of year it can become quite quite busy and the schedule can become quite a stretch on your resources and on your squad so you know we're 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 gearing up for that knowing that um we've got a lot of good players who can come in and, and who can give us freshness when when we need to. So we're we're looking forward to the game and obviously if um if we did well and Pittsburgh did well then that would mean we would be setting up I think Pittsburgh we would play them twice in about three days because we play them in the league um just after the date for that open cup game. So again a lot of a lot of games have to be won for that to happen. But if that does then um then that would be a pretty interesting almost like a, a playoff you know, home and home uh, shoes. Martin, one follow-up there with regard to your form, 4-2-2, two, and two. your only
1: two losses are versus arguably two of the top five teams in the league. You lost on the road at Red Bull 2-2-1, two, two, and uh, first game of the season on the road to, and um, the Deals' squad, St. Louis FC 2-1. What's the best we've seen your squad this year? And in your opinion, offensively, is it, is the lack of goals recently just due to good defensive
2: teams or, or is there a struggle in your eyes? Just kind of curious your thoughts so far. No, I think, you know, the first game of the season, we actually played quite well, but weren't really um, at our best in the final third and, you know, came out on the wrong end against, you know, St. Louis are a team that are happy just to, to wait and defend. They're organized and they're, if you make mistakes, then they'll capitalize and, and we did we made a couple of mistakes and they came out on top in that game. So, that After that game, I think we've played really well. We had a really tough week in the sense that we played Red Bull on Sunday and they had, I think, about six or seven first-team players playing. In fact, a bunch of them played just the other day there against Dallas and beat them 3-1. So the, the challenge you've got when you play some of these um, MLS 2 teams is if you play them away from home the day after an a MLS game, there's a chance you could be playing against a high, high number of first-team players. And that does make a difference. Um, and Red Bull are certainly a good team, and they're one of the, the clubs I've been most impressed with in terms of their their um, their structure, their process, their technical plan, and, and their way that they've developed players. So that was a, it was a, always going to be a tough game. We felt a little bit hard done by with a penalty and a free kick that resulted in the goals after we were winning one 0 uh, But that's you know you can nitpick every game. Uh, but going into the next two, it was a bit frustrating because we've hardly played any home games. And then we had to play two games in, you know, three days or four days with no rest. And so we went into the Tampa game, as you know, they've started the season well. And within 20 minutes, we were down to 10 men. So if you analyze that game on its merits, you would say that we actually did really well. We never even gave up one shot on goal in that entire game. We had four. We looked quite dangerous. We almost looked like the more likely team. To, to win that game. So you certainly wouldn't look at that and say, oh, we weren't, we weren't attacking or creating well. And in the next game, it was again, literally two days to recover against North Carolina. And we, again, we just come off that clean, almost an entire game with 10 men. And that takes a lot of energy out of you. You know, you've done that, I'm sure at times yourself and you, you really have to work in that 10 man system. And then it takes a lot out of the legs for the next day. And one of the challenges that we've had early in the season is that Ilya Illich and Eugene Sterikov have been out injured. And these would be the types of weeks where you play three games in six days that you really have to have those kind of guys because they bring in the energy in the final third, which when we played North Carolina, that was the only thing missing was just that final touch, that final pass. And I think you've seen in the games that we've played outside of that that we've been dynamic, we've been dangerous, we've created a lot of chances, we've pressed well, we've possessed well. Um, but of course, if you have a game or two where you don't score, people might question that. But I feel confident in, in the players that we've got and also feel like, you know, Ilya and Eugene are, are on their way back now. Um, that's going to be like having two brand new signings and two guys that are very, very high level players.
1: Coach, I want to paint a little picture for you. So let's say it's a Wednesday night, no midweek fixture. You're watching a game at home, either USL Championship, MLS, you know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a Premier League game. Who's one of the first people that you're texting if you see a great goal, if there's a call you don't agree with? Who's sort of your go-to football um, partner in in, in the world, just in terms of somebody that you're always reaching out to, a la my Devin Kerr? (laughs)
2: Um, Yeah, probably like coaching staff or my brother. uh, Keep in touch with him quite a lot on on different things that are going on in soccer. Um, Yeah, I keep in touch a little bit with Dave Dixon, with Phil DeSantis, who worked here before. Um, but probably not just one person, but yeah, there are a few people, um, that I'd certainly like chatting to about it. And one of the things is where I find when, you know, with coaching is I'm so much more focused on my own team that I don't spend as much time, you know, watching every single game that I would have probably liked to have watched before. You know, sometimes I've got to come home and watch three games to prepare for the next day or for the next week. And so it's hard to then watch the Champions League or whatever. But usually I still manage to do that. But it's just, I suppose, much more interest and much more focused in in my team and in the teams that we play against, trying to become you know, an expert in in our division and in, in MLS and in USL and in what's going on in North America and really know the players and the teams and the systems uh, really well so that we always feel prepared and we always feel aware of who might be a good good player for us and things like that.
1: And just a quick follow-up there. We have to get your opinion. Devin and I are still are still mourning uh, the the unbelievable second place finish from from our Liverpudlians. Um, what were your thoughts on the Premier League title race this year and uh, thoughts heading into the Champions League
2: final for Liverpool and Tottenham? Yeah, I mean the the title this year has been amazing, and uh, one of the coaches I really follow closely is Jurgen Klopp, and I've spent time at Liverpool watching what they do and following their system and understanding a lot of their their ideas. And they really, I was. I mean, first of all, it's amazing that Manchester City won 14 games in a row to to go and win the league. And that's what they had to do to actually make it happen. Um, But for Liverpool, I thought to keep going and keep winning and keep winning, despite probably somewhere in the back of their mind that Manchester City weren't going to slip up, just, you know, I thought that showed a great mentality. And, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've just seen so many incredible games where we saw Liverpool coming back against Barcelona, Tottenham coming back against Ajax. Manchester City with um, Company scoring the goal against Leicester when it looked like they might not get a goal uh, there's just been so many exciting moments and I think those are inspirational moments for coaches and for players if you if you do take the time to to watch and you do take the time to let it sink in then it's you can do that at your the level you're coaching at and the level you're playing at and you know just recently I think it was the 20th anniversary of Manchester United winning the the treble um, where they won so many incredible games. They won so many late late games where they were losing or games where it looked like there was no chance, but they came back. And that's part of the inspiration for, for me wanting to be a coach and wanting to do it well. And I really try to get the players inspired by these opportunities too, because at the end of the day, there there's a guy there who scored for Tottenham. He scored a hat-trick. He wouldn't even have been playing if Harry Kane wasn't injured. And so you got guys in your squad who may be disappointed that they're not playing, but if they stay focused and stay on it, there's still big opportunities for them. And there's lots of players in the USL that could go on to do great things in the game and, and maybe even make a great living out of it. And I've seen it with lots of players that I've coached that one day they're at a certain level, but with a little bit more belief, a little bit more commitment, a bit more sacrifice, their, their career can absolutely be transformed. And I've seen that with guys like Camillo, Camilo, for example, who who went from being, you know, a kind of guy on the bench for Vancouver to then being the highest school scorer in MLS to then having a huge career in, in mexico and and you know securing his financial future so it's it's taking these moments of these games and and taking it you know there's the enjoyment of being a spectator but then as a coach or as a player you have to be able to try and translate it to what it could mean for you and and show that passion so that your chance could come to do something big
1: so you mentioned that okay. the Dev, I have a a quick follow-up, quick follow-up. Go ahead, buddy. You mentioned mentioned the 20th anniversary of the treble, and Devin and I were actually talking about that on a U.S. Open Cup game last night between Hartford Athletic and Cosmos B, where stoppage time was seven minutes, and the coach from Cosmos B was chirping in the ear of the fourth official, saying, I have six minutes and 20 seconds. You, at the very least, have to have six minutes. And Devin and I, of course, were talking about Fergie time and how he was notorious for that. Have you ever tried to employ that sort of tactic with a fourth official?
2: Well, you know, one of the funniest stories I can remember about that was in Carolina where we were we were losing a game or it was, I think it was tied and we were expecting to win. And the game was so slow, so slow. And I was on the fourth official. I was saying, there's so much time wasting. There's, there better be like at least five minutes. There's, there's got to be like, you know, this has got to be added on and so on and so forth. And then in about the 89th minute, we scored and the fourth official put up the, the board for four minutes. And I was like. Four minutes? Where do you get four minutes from? How's there four minutes? (laughs) (laughs) So, it it works for you and against you, but generally, that's one of the things that really does bug me, is like, if there's six substitutions, there's been injuries, and there's been a lot of time wasting, and then the fourth official gives three minutes, like, that annoys me if you're chasing the game, because that's something that I feel should be able to be managed accurately. Um, But, of course, if you're winning the game and there's a lot of stoppage time, then you want it over as quick as you can. So, part of it is recognizing as a coach you can't control everything obviously we try and influence a little bit um but sometimes that can take your eye off what you can actually influence significantly or control more which could be the tactics or the changes that you make and if you get too focused on the officials and trying to influence and dominate everything then i think sometimes you you miss out on actually what you could do a good job of and I find that sometimes that if the other coach is on the official so much, you feel like you have to be involved. Otherwise, they, they start to go one way. But generally, I would rather let them get on with their job and, and not have to focus on mine. Coach, you talked about
1: some fun memories just now, um, You know, childhood stuff, coaching career, having an impact on players, obviously the fourth official. You've also had some experience all over the world in your coaching career, both stateside as you know, Korea. I mean, e- truly everywhere. And worked with the likes of Kenny Miller, Andy O'Brien, um, Nigel Rio Coker. I mean, that was the name I didn't even realize that he was under your tutelage. And so you dig into your background, a lot of fun things that have gone on for you. Is there anything from your coaching career that stands out as one or two, maybe favorite memories that you you sit down, maybe hanging out by the fire, whatever it may be, and you just kind of give a smile to yourself every now and then?
2: yeah oh, yeah, absolutely. I think there's been so many. And I think, you know, a few years ago we were in Korea and, um, there was a short summer break and my, my family, we went to an island called Jeju, which is um, an island just in Korea or just off the coast of Korea. And it's it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. It's not well known here, but it's very well known in Asia. And um, as we were sitting there by the by the pool and enjoying it, I remember just saying to my wife, you know, in years to come, we're not going to look back and say, oh, we should have gone for it a bit more. You know, like we totally have, you know, as as opportunities have come up and as chances have been there we've we've taken the risk. sometimes we've gone for it and we've we've grown and learned so much because we've done that and we've allowed our kids to to experience different cultures and different ways of living and meet lots of people and have friends all around the world so that's one of the things um, and that, that I think soccer's helped me and done for me but one one memory that sticks out which is kind of a funny one is just going back to that driving the, the vans you know and and if you've ever done that it's it, it seems like you know you're driving forever and, and everything looks the same and you're not getting anywhere fast but i remember driving into charlotte from cleveland and driving one of those vans and we came in um past lake norman um which if you know charlotte you know that's a beautiful lake as you come in i think on the north side of charlotte and one of the guys was like hey coach can we can we stop and dive in the lake and for a minute, I was like, "No, of course we can't do that." But then I was like, "You know what? Yeah, yeah, we can." So we pulled off the road and we we came up to the the kind of marina or the pier. We got out. We were all. We spent like twenty minutes, half an hour diving into the lake, having fun. And uh, <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that you probably can't do very often or doesn't come up too much. But that's a memory that I think um, I remember well and, and look back on fondly because at the end of the day, a lot of this game is about. The relationships you make, the people you get to know, the impact you have on people's lives. Obviously, we're we're striving for excellence and we're determined to do the best we possibly can. Um, But we also know there's ups and downs. And sometimes you could coach really well and the ball could hit the post and go out. Sometimes you could be doing an okay job and the ball could hit the post and go in. And that changes people's perspective of how good a coach you are. So you have to be able to see yourself in a different light and and go for it with everything you've got, but not be so um, hammered, down if you do badly or up if you do well um and and that's a big thing that i've learned as I've, as i've been a coach now for about 14 years in all these different places and hopefully matured and grown a lot as a person
1: coach have you um employed any of your your coaching expertise on your kids i don't know how old they are if they're playing or not i'm always quite curious when guys are, are players or coaches and they have children how that affects their kids going forward
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So I've got two daughters and the older one, um, about two years ago, uh, really started getting into soccer. Up until then, she played a little bit, but I was kind of cognizant of not pushing her into it. And obviously, I've got a lot of soccer going on in my life anyway. But in the last couple of years, she really got into it and practiced a lot on her own. And um, so I've I've been coaching her a little bit and helping to uh, coach some of her friends. And last night, I was in Fort Wayne for a state cup game and got home at midnight. So um, it's been a really great thing just for connecting with her. And I think again, soccer is really such a good way to teach a lot of valuable life lessons and lots of things that she does and they do come easy to them. But soccer is something that if you're going to get good at it, it's very difficult and you're never going to play the perfect game and you're going to have defeats and disappointments. So it's a really good way to teach important lessons about how you handle those things and what's important and what you can do better and, yeah, it's been fun, um, and it's a definitely a change of pace from, from coaching the Indy 11.
1: What position does she play? Is she a, you know, out-and-out out striker, Thomas Dina Volson, Dane Kelly? Is she running down the wing <laughs> like
2: a dog Penn? Where, where, where do we
1: see her on the pitch?
2: Yeah, she, she plays usually like in central midfield, or she can play a few positions. I've tried to like teach her to be like a striker or a central midfielder because then I feel like later on she could probably play most other positions because those are two of the more difficult ones, I think, obviously, goalkeeper, not not accepted but um, yeah so she's she's just learning having fun and um, enjoying it and it's been kind of fun because um, for example when we came back from Korea we were in Michigan and like nobody even knew I was a coach or anything like that so we were able to, to hang out and have fun and, and just one quick story on that was the school that she was going to my friend was the, the coach of the high school team and he um he, we were in his in his uh, kitchen one day he said well you helped me coach the team and I'd just come back from these guys in Korea, honestly, they're technically fantastic. They're really, really good players. So we went out to the, the Cabbage Patch to, to, to do the training session. And, and he had talked about we can play this system and that system. And I was kind of like afterwards, I said, look, these kids don't can't play at all. You know, they're basketball players or whatever. It's just a very small school. And I said to him, you know, what is it that you're trying to do? Are you trying to win or are you trying to develop the players? And he said, no, it's just a short season. We try, try to win. So the next um, number of months that I was there, we worked on it together and, and it was so funny because they had like some good athletes, again, that played basketball. One of them was a goalkeeper, two of them were centre-backs, and uh, one of them was a midfielder and one played up front and then we sprinkled the other kids in. And out of the, I think, 18 players on the team, it was a boys' high school team, there was like seven girls. So they didn't have enough kids to make up a team just with the boys. So very small school. But anyway, the long and the short of it is we've worked on defending, counterattacking and set plays. And we had these kids believing in themselves and they went all the way to the, they won their conference, they won their regional title, they won their district title and they went all the way to the state semifinal. So it was one of the most fun coaching experiences ever. And again, I just think if you can build confidence and belief into to kids or anybody, they can do far more than they would ever do. If you point out all the things they're doing wrong and try and make them just fight and work hard, of course you have to work hard. But if you do it with belief, confidence, and expectation, it's amazing to see what they can achieve. Unbelievable. Great
1: story. Uh, all right, I want to shift gears a little bit. I'm going to paint another picture for you, all right? Come off a win against Lansing Ignite. You get home. Are you pouring yourself a glass of beer? Is it a glass of red wine, white wine, maybe a little scotch? What's your what's what's your go-to vice after, after a nice win or a loss or a draw for that matter?
2: Yeah, so I, I don't drink too much, but I would maybe have a glass of wine sometimes. I think on... Uh, I'm meant to tomorrow uh, tomorrow morning. I'm meant to go to the Indy 500 uh, race car track and go flying around the track with the driver, 200 miles an hour around the track. So I probably won't be drinking too much before I go and do that because I don't want to be sick. But <laughs> generally, uh, generally, I like to come home and like um, yeah, just hang out with my wife and probably you know eat eat some ice cream or whatever. Maybe have a glass of wine, hang out. Watch, check the scores or see what else is going on and and just hang out and relax a little bit. Because the one thing I always talk about with the players is when you win, you get such a good feeling from it. And it lasts for like, you know, at least a day and maybe more. But when you lose, you get such a bad feeling from it and it affects everything about how you feel for at least a few days and it affects other people who you interact with and connect with. It affects how you feel when you come in on a Monday morning to start training again. So you've only got 90 minutes to try and find that feeling and to earn that feeling. You can't get it by buying it. You get it by performing and playing well and doing the right thing. So I always think that the the evening after a win is a lot more enjoyable and and the next morning is a lot more enjoyable than a defeat or a tie. So it's really worth focusing on it and giving it everything you've got to get that feeling.
1: All right, so follow up on that. So let's just say, you know, you're having, you're having a couple glasses of wine after a game. Is there one player in particular, you know, whether it's on Indy 11 right now, somebody you've coached in the past, somebody over at Korea, Cleveland stars, you name it, Vancouver, who an, an, announcer, down, an, announcer. <laughs> an announcer, not named Devin Kerr. Is there anyone that you might be able to just shut down a bar with to the wee hours of the night, just going on conversation and banter?
2: Oh uh, yeah. I'm sure there's, there's a lot of people. I think, um, you know there was there was a guy who who i coached in cleveland called dana mcgregor who actually was a really skillful player he played for um the us national team at Futsal and played a lot of indoor and um he's probably like the funniest character that i've ever met in anything i've done probably um and he um like to give you an example he would come and you know we became friends after i coached him and we keep in touch and one year he came and he was hanging out i think we were in carolina he lives in california and he said, yeah, I've just bought a goat to um, to eat, you know, to sort out my mum's uh, back garden. And I was like, are you serious? Like, because there was, I think, poison ivy and all this kind of stuff. So he said, yeah, yeah, I have. And so I was saying, well, what are you going to do with the goat afterwards? You know, once you've once it's done its work. And he's like, oh, I don't know, kind of thing. Well, a few months later, he taught this goat how to surf. And if you go on YouTube, you'll see this thing called the surfing oh. goat. And basically, it's all over... Uh, You've used stories in the UK, Australia, the US, everywhere. And um, literally he's had this goat that he goes on the surfboard with and the goat just stands as as he surfs these big waves. And that's just I'm saying that story to give you an example of the kind of guy that he is. So anytime I get to hang out with him or do things with him, it's just absolutely hilarious. And whenever we would go on road trips when we were in Cleveland, it was almost like if there was a flight delay or a traffic jam. Instead of being disappointed, you were almost like excited to see what this guy might do um in the midst of it. And so if he would be a guy I would always like to, to hang out with. But I'm sure there's there's plenty, but he's he's certainly one of the one of the funniest characters and a guy who just like as soon as he walks in a room, he starts to bring joy to people, and that's a that's a great gift. So can I found we expect it. to see the surfing, the surfing goat? Is that going to be the official mascot of Indy 11 one day? <laughs> it, could, it could be. He def- Listen, I mean, I could do a full podcast just on this guy, but he does he still does coaching for kids. He does that, and he actually brings the goats a lot of times to the camps if they're close to his house, and he has the goats like head in the ball um, all sorts of stuff like so it's yeah he, he's i recommend them for any kids camp anywhere in the world they'll be one of the best you've ever done i can assure you are you guys ready for this
1: i just found his um his camp bio on flowstockerministry.com. it's forever loving others yeah. dana mcgregor his title yeah. expert uh his title story writer prime minister Flow camp Interesting director. His profession, he's a goat herder, a professional soccer trainer, and a wedding DJ. <laughs> right, there you go, ready? He is, is as you know. he is known as Sonny D, or the most interesting camp director in the world. He lives vicariously through himself and his goats. His chest hair <laughs> alone has been known to grow 10 times faster than the average man. He started playing soccer <laughs> in the womb. Then when he came out, he played a couple years pro before starting Flow Soccer
2: Ministry. <laughs> No, this guy was, like, he would turn up. He would turn up for away trips. He would be so far out of dress code that you couldn't even find him. Like one day he turned up with a pair. He'd like gone into the the host family that he'd lived with. He went into the ladies' uh, wardrobe and he came out with a pair of black leather pants that zipped up the back. <laughs> he wore them on the trip.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sounds
1: like Devin's Saturday Night. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. So all right. So you brought. You brought up fashion. Let, let's take it and run with it. There. Um, let, let's look at just the Eastern Conference, and you haven't seen everybody yet. But you know, Bob Lilly, he's a track suit kind of guy. hat forward likes to yell at people. Uh, other guys like you know Mike Anhauser He can be touch and go. Let's go with fashion. Anthony Pulis tends to find himself in some fashionable outfits. We've seen what uh, Tim Mulkling and his oversized grandfather suit needs a tailor can do on the sideline. Coach, who do you look at? And you're like, wow, that guy can dress a little bit. Who are we
2: going to for fashion advice in the Eastern Conference? Oh, in the Eastern Conference, um, I always think the best guy, best dressed guy in soccer in, the, in North America is Nick Desantis, who's in Montreal. I'm not sure exactly what his role is now, but he was always the sharpest dresser that I can, I can remember coming up against or seeing around the place. Um, but yeah, I think I think Anthony Poulos does it does a good job, and um, he's more like the casual kind of smart look, a little bit like maybe Guardiola or someone like that um you know it's interesting when i was in korea the company that owned the team was a big fashion company and they owned um, all sorts of shopping malls all sorts of retail outlets hotels resorts so they basically measured me up and they would every single week they would bring suits they would bring shirts they would bring shoes they like so much stuff like for me to wear on the sideline and i would go i still got like tons of the stuff that that they gave me and then I, every time I would go back to Scotland, I'd just bring like two or three duffel bags of stuff for my brothers. And I just I honestly had to like, had to get it out of my house because I couldn't find any more room for the other stuff. So that was a pretty fun experience. And they gave me so much, so much cool stuff. And then some stuff that was just absolutely horrendous where I was like, I'm not, there's no way I'm wearing that. But uh, they, they they kept it coming and uh, yeah, it was, it was a great company to work for. And, a huge organization in in Asia. I think a new balance alone, they did something like a billion dollars worth of sales in Asia. And that was just one brand that they they were at least the agent for in Asia at the time. So that that would be kind of most of the stuff I I probably still have is from there. I haven't had to buy
1: much since then. Martin, last one for me and I'll get out of your hair. Um, We'll do one more each Tyler and I, I know it's game day. So we're we're grateful for the time. Um, Already a lot of experience under your belt. Uh, double part question one, any regrets? Cause you, cause you talk about, you know, you don't want to look back and, and say, Oh, we didn't
2: do this. I didn't do that. Whether personal or professional career. Um, not too much. I think, you know, what there was once when I was, um, in Vancouver, I hadn't really been there too long and I got offered a really, really big job in Europe back in Scotland. It was like, you know, beyond what I would have ever thought was possible, but I just got there. I've had a two year contract. So I had a sense of loyalty, um, to the club and, I've always worked through, you know, my contracts pretty much. And so I didn't take it. So that was one where I suppose I sometimes think, I wonder how that would have gone. Um, but no, I, I think like I'm in a good place. I'm still quite young as a coach. I've learned a lot and I'm, I'm learning all the time and all being well, I can coach for a lot of years. I've still got a lot of ambition and hunger and I look at, you know, certain decisions that maybe I could see oh I would do that differently. Now, well, that's in hindsight, I would do that. So I wouldn't have been able to learn that without going through it myself. And so, um, I, I don't think there's there's too much. I think in terms of coaching games, there's always just, these, there's you know there's four or five games, if I could say out of my whole career, if those were wins instead of losses, that would be transformational. If you think about Jurgen Klopp, if you could say to him, hey, you can take five games that you didn't win and you can, we'll turn them into a win. Think about what that would do for the number of trophies he's actually won. So that might be the, the one thing if I could make an adjustment, I would. But those aren't really regrets. Those are just, hopefully ways of, of learning and improving so that when I get to those situations in the future, I can be better prepared and execute more effectively.
1: All right, Coach. Last one. Again, we thank you so much for your time. Two-part question. We want a prediction on the Champions League final between Liverpool and Tottenham on June 1st. And then second, in the 11, you know, come November, they're coming out of the Eastern Conference. You guys are in a USL Cup final right now. And I don't know how much you've been able to see the Western Conference. Who do you see coming out of the way?
2: Ah, you know what, that's a good question. Um, I think the the um, prediction for the Champions League final is so difficult because you've got two teams that are both, both very good teams that have come off incredible wins to actually get to the final. I feel a little bit like if Liverpool don't win, then there comes a point where Jurgen Klopp's going to start going, like, what's going on? Because he's lost a lot of finals and a lot of kind of, you know, like the weekend where he could have won the league but didn't win the league. Um, and Tottenham coming back the way they did with, you know, the last kick of the ball pretty much to get to the final. Obviously, their their tails are up and their expectations are up. But I think Liverpool, Liverpool will win this one. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if Son does something good for Tottenham and ends up stealing the game. I remember when he signed for Tottenham, I told uh, a couple of Tottenham supporters that this guy is going to be really, really good for you. And they were like, nah, he won't be he won't be up to the mark. But he's gone on to prove what a great talent he is. And there's a lot of guys like him um in Korea, maybe not quite as good, but a lot that are very close. And so he's a guy that even if the game isn't going Tottenham's way, he's who he could cause a problem and make something happen. So I'm gonna go with Liverpool, but I wouldn't wouldn't be too surprised if, if Tottenham come out on top. In terms of the West Coast, so far I haven't really followed it closely enough to really say, Oh, I think this team is is the strongest. Um, and I also think that as the season goes on, it's not necessarily the team that's at the top right now that will end up being at the top. But I think last season Orange County took about eight or nine games to get going, and then they became a very strong team. I think Phoenix obviously have big investment and a lot, of, a lot of very talented players, so you would always be thinking that they might come good. So probably be maybe someone like Phoenix, but again, I really haven't followed it closely enough. I've, I know the East Coast very well and follow it very closely, but. As the season goes on, I start to look at the rest a little bit more. But my priority right now is is our team and the, the way that we want to play and making sure we're prepared for every game to do it.
1: All right, Coach. Thank you so much Um coming on the pod. We really appreciate it. Just a forewarning, Austin Deleuze from North Carolina FC came on this pod in the following game. He got a red card and got sent off. Um, so <laughs> if you have any bad luck in the next coming games, you can thoroughly blame us and we'll take it on the chin and that's okay.
2: No, no problem. I'll,
1: I'll be careful. What
2: I say for sure.
1: thank you so much coach appreciate it all right thanks guys nice to talk to you thanks coach
2: you're welcome